Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode, Tom chats with Grant DeJoya of Patriot Shredding based in Rockville, Maryland. Grant shares how he used the early COVID crisis to dive deep into all the data they had about stops, time spent, factors on those stops, revenue, and profitability. And as a result, they built and continue to use a dynamic purge pricing calculator that came out of the data they uncovered. So take a listen. Grant Joya, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Tom. Pumped to be here. Yeah, it's really good to have you here. So tell me a little bit about Patriot Shredding. Tell me where you are, size of your company. Give me sort of a overview of what you're all about. Sure. Yep. We're located here in Rockville, Maryland, just uh, a few miles outside D.C., probably, you know, four or five miles outside the D.C. border. So with no traffic, we're into the city in a 15, 20 minutes with a lot of traffic. It's an hour and 15 or 20 minutes. We service most of the state of Maryland, Northern Virginia, pretty far, as far south as Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, Washington, D.C. itself. We bleed a little bit into West Virginia and into Southern Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, wow. Gettysburg area. Not a ton of work that way, but we've had a couple of government contracts that need us up there. So we have routes through there. Just had our ninth truck delivered a couple weeks ago. Two more trucks on order that we are told will be here in August or September. <laughs> you know how that goes. And then a couple more ordered for six, eight, nine, 12 months from now. We've got 25 employees. And yeah, that's kind of the brief overview. It's mobile document shredding, hard drive shredding. So we have one, tr- one of those trucks is a hard drive shredding truck slash box truck. And we do a good amount of electronics recycling as well. That's a big growth area for us. So collection of computers, the the whole works, and then you're extracting hard drives and shredding at that point. Exactly. Yep. And I would say, I know you always ask, I think probably 99% of our business is mobile. We do have a warehouse, but it's mostly just full of bins and inventory and e-scrap. Got it. 99% of the destruction is done on site. Got it. Okay. How long have you been in business? What's your longevity in this game? Yeah, started in 2010. So coming up on 12 years and it was a very slow build. I was 23 years old when we started and started with an old college roommate and he was around for about two years and decided he needed to make money. So he he moved on to a different (laughs) career. And get out of the shredding business. Yeah. Yeah. I I always say early stages. Yeah. You know, I I bought his 50% for a dollar and I overpaid, but you know, then it was kind of just me driving the trucks and doing everything for a few more years and about six years in finally got my stuff together, hired a first employee. And, you know, so I say it's 12 years, but it's really probably more like five or six as a real business, not just, you know, a drive truck for 10 years of that. (laughs) Well, once you've, you know, once you start getting past five, six, seven trucks, you have to have a real business at that point. Um, yeah. you, you can't be playing anymore because it just will kill you very quickly if you are. So, well, that's great to know. So a, as you know, the focus of our podcast is strategy, tactics, something even engaged or uh, used in your business that has had significant impact. So tell me something you and your team have been doing over the last few years that would have a significant impact on your business and the results you're having. Yeah, I think for us, the topic I'd like to kind of dive into with you is is our pricing and hmm. particularly purge pricing for paper yeah paper shredding yeah. Not, not so much on the hard drive side or the e-waste side but you know that's the bulk of everyone's inbound leads are right leads be it residential yeah. or, or commercial leads so we do things 
a little bit differently with this, I think, than a lot of folks. So I think maybe people could glean some value out of this. It's worked very well for us. We've experienced a lot of growth through COVID. And then I say post-COVID, but of course, we're still in COVID. But 2020, 21, and, and, and 22, we've seen major growth. And I think a lot of it is predicated on kind of the, the pricing structure we developed and how we've rolled it out. Basically, you know, what, what we looked at, COVID hit 2020 and half of our business disappeared overnight, right. essentially, um, in middle right. of March, 2020, and took a while to rebound, obviously. I think April, May, June of, of that year were still very bleak. So we looked at things like, well, it's, what are we doing here? We got to change up pricing structure, look at everything. So we took a real deep dive into the business, looked at our, you know, all of our expenses and figured out we wanted to see how low we can go and still hit our numbers. What do we need to generate revenue per day, per truck, per hour? And what does that look like? So what can we do a job for, essentially? What does our minimum need to be? Does it need to be the same in all of our service area? Is it different mm-hmm. based on different geographic locations, uh, depending on our route density or, or how far off a major thoroughfare a purge might take us? So we looked at all of that. We, we said, okay, well, how long do these jobs take, right? So we had the software we were using then and, and still are using now. We're in the middle of a big software change, which was nice to hear Lucy Shipley's interview about yeah. that. But we, we had to look through kind of disparate different softwares to see, you know, how much our time on site for different purges. We're looking through job notes, determining what, what was the scope of the work, how accessible were the boxes, were they ground level, were the elevator accessible, up or down stairs. If they were ground level, were they ground level in a first floor office? So we still have to walk through hallways or are they ground level in a warehouse or, or whatever. So we looked at every different kind of possibility and variation of purge we do mm-hmm. and did a historical dive into, you know, couple hundred jobs we had done and, and calculated time on site. We kind of came out with, well, there's a lot of work and a lot of, you know, a lot of time spent on this, but it was worth it determining down to the minute, how long we're on site for, for different types of purge jobs. From there, you know, we were able to say, well, we need to generate X revenue per hour to be profitable based on our model. So we broke it down, right? So we kind of devised something we call a pricing calculator that tells us, it tells sales staff very quickly how much we need to charge for a job and what we need to do to be profitable. And it's, we wound up dropping our rates considerably, which, you know, people think we're crazy because it's like, you don't need to, or, you know, maybe we're way below market rate on some jobs, but it just, it just depended, right? I mean, some jobs were probably above market rate because we were looking at, well, it's an elevator in downtown DC with no loading dock access or parked on a street, but we have to block out a freight elevator and those jobs are going to take X amount of time historically. So we need to bake that into our price. So maybe we were much higher on that versus, you know, the residential homeowner who has 20 boxes in their garage and we know we're in and out in 10 minutes, right. you know, as fast as you can shred almost yeah. 15 minutes yeah. at, at most. So it was just getting really granular and really drilling into that to be able to come up with this kind of you know, we call it a bin calculator, pricing calculator that accounts for all these variations. We also de- developed a kind of a pricing map. So different zones based on it's, it's, we have a big service area, you know, a, a mm-hmm. very broad yeah. service area and we're in a pretty densely populated area being in Washington, DC, but our routes do go into much more rural areas. So it was mostly the, the pricing map and the zones are mostly based off of major highways so maybe 95 south going down okay. down to fredericksburg virginia you know yeah, yeah fredericksburg it's a hike from us it's an hour and a half but if you're right on 95 there that's where most of the work is right coming up and down that major highway so your price is x but if you're 
five to 10 minutes off that highway and you know, you're, you're 10 minutes off. So we're going 10 minutes off route that 10 minutes to get back on route. That's 20 minutes in windshield time just to get to this perch. So that's gotta be baked into the price. So that's a different zone and they're going to have different pricing. And we have a, it looks like this is a, it's a Google map basically with overlays and different, uh, color coding and pricing mapped into it. And it looks ridiculous. I'm looking at it right now. It looks, I don't know what it looks like. It looks ridiculous, but, um, <laughs> but it works. You type in an address and it, it drops you in there to tell someone what to charge. So. I think for us, it was, we didn't want to just say, oh, our minimum rate is X and it's, yeah. it's through our service here. You know, it just, it depends where you are and what you have and where it is at your location. Wow. So yeah, I'd like to jump and dig sort of back in because you've, you've dropped a ton of interesting things. So, so let's go back to your in COVID and you're ripping apart all those details, the data from. 200, 300 service jobs. What's the data set that you're working? Like, do you have a solid data set? Because historically in this industry, we, you know, we do a job, but we're not tracking. You th said things like, how long did we spend on that job? What floor was it on? Did you have all that data to work from, or did you have to go back and compile all this data? We had it in, I think it basically two different software. So kind of a routing scheduling software. And then in our um, GPS tracking mm -hmm. software, basically, so we could we could historically go back and look and see mm. how long a truck was on site at a particular job. And then we would know from the job notes and the scheduling software, how much they had, right? If it was mm -hmm. 47 boxes and, and the access was included, ground level elevator. So we have, we have ground level direct, ground level push, which is down that hallway or whatever, direct would be just a warehouse or something. Uh, then we've got elevator, elevator push, and then stairs, one, two, three flights, depending on how much it is. So we had to, it was a bit tedious because it wasn't just at our fingertips. I think, you know, a more robust industry specific software, which we're moving to, we intend on you know having that more at our fingertips, but, uh, it took, took a bit of time, but it was, it was definitely worth it. Yeah. Cause it sounds like as you're pulling apart and extracting what was you're defining these variables as you go a little bit. I mean, there's, there's some obvious ones. I think we know is there stairs or not. But it sounds like you went like even with ground level direct versus ground level push, you're now adjusting for that variable. And then sort of in the three-dimensional space, you're now adjusting for geography related to existing routes, existing density obviously impacts that. Yep. So how are you compiling this? Are you just compiling this on a whiteboard somewhere? What's <laughs> your process of, of extracting this data? So for now, it's still all on a, it's on a Google sheet, right? So it's okay. a Google doc. So it's, it's a spreadsheet, right? I'm just living in our Google drive. We're Google-based company, so everything we do yep. is out of there. And essentially, really, it's just one sheet with a bunch of different zones on it, kind of tabs at the bottom, you know, like an Excel spreadsheet has different tabs and there's the cheapest dollar zone, the middle, I and mean, there's about five or six different zones. And then if you're looking for the price you need to give, you're just the pricing map drops, you know, you put the address and it drops you into whatever zone it is. It tells you like, okay, I'm in zone two, go to the spreadsheet and you click on the zone two tab and it's basically just a spreadsheet. It says how many bins it's going to be. And then it's depending on uh, how long it takes to do the job. There's one, two, three, four, five, five different kind of per bin times or six per bin times we have calculated in there. It's not perfect, right? I mean, you, but no. when you figure it's pretty close and you know, sometimes you win big, sometimes you lose. It's, it's just, we figure it all evens out in the end. And we did, we haven't been doing it lately, but over the first year or so, every month we would audit it. We would go back and pull right. 20 jobs and, and do an audit. See, so like, did this check out? And it, it always checked out. So 
Yeah. We've, we've got yeah. just, it's kind of on autopilot right now, which makes it nice and easy for us. So, so you're, you're saying then because you, you developed what you called the pricing map or pricing calculator, I think you even said it was the bin calculator, yeah. but the, your calculator is essentially how you described it. Your sales reps get an inbound call. It's a home, you know, let's say it's a residential customer, but it's outside of zone three and it's sort of in that zone past where you're comfortable going. So does that immediately get then hit with a different minimum yep. fee? Is that exactly. what you're doing? You're adjusting yeah. the minimums? Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. So the zones, it's basically just a different minimum. Once we're there, Got we're it. there. So we just need to account for that extra windshield time going off route. And once again, once you're there, if it's the, the service time is the same, regardless of whether you're in the sticks or you're in the mostly in the city. Again, we have some surcharges baked in, not to the customer, but internally for a job done in D.C. within a particular area in D.C. because it's it's just it's a nightmare down there. Yeah. So it just everything yeah. takes longer. So that's you're going to pay more. But that's the only part of our service area that requires that. So you, you said that the last couple of years since you implemented this, so early in COVID, you're implementing this, you're figuring it out, you're putting this process in place, you start implementing it. What kind of spread are you seeing as a result of using this tool as a piece of your sales process? Like what's changing for you and how do you see that, you know, that the delta between where you were and where you are? Given, you know, obviously there's, there's a crazy two years in the middle of all this that, you know, it's hard to manage that, but I, I, I mean, you're, you're obviously the implementation of this and then watching it is creating some kind of result for you. Yep, exactly. I mean, our prices went down, right? Like I said, which is right. counterintuitive to what basically everybody was doing at the time, but we just trusted our metrics. We trusted our numbers and, and we knew where we needed to be ourselves. So when the price goes down, typically the closing rate's going to go up. And it, and it did. Our closing rate for paper purges is about 70%. And that's up from, I don't know, 50% prior to that. But we hmm. remain profitable on them. I mean, the ones we lose, typically we track what we lose. And 90% of the ones we lose are just a matter of scheduling. You know, I need this done by the end of the week. And it's we're booked. We're just completely booked up. We can't do it. Or I need this done tomorrow. And so you're never, never going to win them all because we are we are very busy. So we just don't have a ton of capacity yeah. today or tomorrow. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a significant jump. I mean, our part of our thought process behind it as well, too, is the lifetime value of these customers. We know that on an average month, 40% of our purge business is repeat purge business, which is before we looked yeah. at it, we knew, oh, there's some repeats, but 40%. And that's, that's held, you know, some months it's 30, some months it's 50, but it's, it's held around that 40 range for the past couple of years since we've been looking at it. So, so we know, Hey, we get, we got to get them in at our number. It's got to make sense for us. We can't lose money, but yeah. if we make the amount of money we need to make. We want to do it for as little as we possibly can, because we know they're going to come back year over year, right? Um, they might have, we do a lot of electronic, quote unquote, a lot of electronics recycling. We do a lot for a, a paper shredding company, but they, you know, that customer that had 20 boxes to shred this month. Oh, when we're on site, the guys see there's also a storage room full of, of computer right. equipment. And now we're, we're letting them know we're going back to grab that. And there's real substantial value there. And then we're coming back year over year or whatever it might be. Um, a lot of it's service failures of the big guys. We're doing purge work for companies that have containers of some of the national providers in their offices. And they can't get them on the phone to come out. So now we're scooping up their purge work. We're scooping up their e-waste and we're scooping up their, you know, bi-weekly yeah. service or whatever yeah. it might be. So 
Part of the philosophy was we need to get in front of as many people as possible. Our guys do a fantastic job out there in the field. So let's get them in front of as many people as we can. And it's worked. I mean, we've grown a lot, so it's working for us. So what lessons did you learn in the process about your business, about how you delivered or even how you sold things? Because, you know, when you do deep dives into data sets like that, that you did, you pull apart every job. I just imagine you're processing through that and like at three in the morning, you get these light bulb moments (laughs) that just go bang. What happened? Like, or what are we doing? Or wow, that's an insight. And you don't have to give away the farm necessarily, but what were some of the sort of major revelations or lessons that came out of this for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was going into it. We didn't know where it was going to, it was like, we're big, like let the data tell us what to do. Like, I I feel like this might be a good thing, but who cares about your feelings? Like the numbers are what, are what's all that matters really. So I think it was even though we felt going into it, I think this is going to, I think we can lower rates. I think we can really, you know, drill down into this. I think we were shocked by how much we could. In in some cases, we were charging three times more than we needed to. And we're losing jobs, right? Because of that. And again, we want to grow. We wanted to, you know, want to have as wide of a customer base as possible. So this strategy is not for everybody, right? If you only want to win 30% of your jobs and, and do it at a much higher rate, then this is not it. This is not the way to do it. But I think we really found that, wow, like there's a lot of wiggle room here and we are in a very dense area as well, which does help, but there's a lot of wiggle room on this price and we knew what our competitors are charging and we know the level of service we provide. So we just thought we don't need to make $400 an hour out there. I mean, we, that would be great if we do And some routes, sometimes we do some jobs we do, but that doesn't need to be our, our metric. So the underlying, and you said this earlier, the underlying driver for you in this is, is it your hourly rate or is it your daily rate per truck? Was this a successful, I mean, you, you mentioned the up from a 50% closing rate to a 70% closing rate. So that in itself to me is more than worth, you know, a $10,000 investment in listening to the last 20 minutes Mm -hmm. that alone is, but what do you, what's the other metric that you're measuring success against? Yeah. So it's all going to tie in right operationally. So we have a specific, we know each truck we run, we run 10 hour routes every day. And that's, that's start to finish. That's the, the operational goal. If it falls short, it's flagged. If it goes over, it's flagged. And there, there needs to be reasons why, you know, what are the others happening? But we have a 10 hour route that needs to create X amount of revenue per day. Yeah. So, you know, that's where it's, you know, simple math. You just take that revenue divided by the 10 hours and that's what we need to make every hour. Of course, there's windshield time involved. We have some routes where we'll drive two hours to the first stop, you know, and then an hour back from the last stop. So the minimums in, in those more further flung places are, are going to reflect that. But that's really was the catalyst for it. And that's where mm-hmm. we saw, okay, let's start there. We know what our number needs to be every day. Yes. So what do yes. we need to do to support that? So it was like, Again, I don't think we're cut rate, but um, the philosophy was let's get it as low as it can be with us still. Right, which profit. which supports your daily rate, which supports your daily you know revenue per route per day, but it also has to in that number also have, then has to support your overheads and your profit margin because if you don't play with profit, you're killing yourself. And again, currently we're doing this. It's a little bit more manual of a process. Hopefully the new software can automate it, but every, every route every day is tracked. So it's tracked by hours on the road, use the, the fuel used on the routes, which is obviously a much more major expense today than it was six months ago. It's tracked with the labor costs. So we have, we have Excel sheets where it plugs in the, the, we have two guys pretty much on every single route, um, a driver and a helper. 
and it's updated with their actual, their actual pay, right? So we're getting a, a real true labor cost for that specific route, the revenue it generates and it, it all spits it all out, right? And it gives us the gross profit margin and we have our goal. We need to be at X margin per route every day, you know, and some are historically are always above that every single week and others are, are, are much weaker just because they're kind of lost leaders of a sort, but we're always, we have an eye on that always. So it's all, it all yeah, goes, no, that's, it's got that's, all good together. That's potent. So a lot of times when somebody's uh, really looking at data the way that you are, there is a underlying MBA in play. And so how does a history major learn data like you've learned it? And that's, that's a question because I think we all have to, as business owners, really understand metrics data to grow businesses. You need to know that you need to understand all of these pieces and parts. And a lot of, I find a lot of small business owners tend to discount the data and fly by instinct instead of fly by, fly by instruments and you're flying by instruments, but. It takes some intuition, some learning, some digging into to really understand how to use data in an appropriate way. So I guess my question is, because I, I know you come from a history background, I read it on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile, and now you're like, there's this major data focus that you have. What's the catalyst for you that pushed you into being really data driven? Yeah, well, you mentioned instinct, right? So I think I, pr I probably just have horrible instinct. So if I if I was to rely on that, mm. I'd, I'd be way up the creek. But um, I think it's just I don't know. I've always been, although you know, I majored in I, I double majored in history and theology. So two two rather useless majors as far as majors go. Really, <laughs> but I've always been a big numbers guy. I've never been a fan of like math classes or anything like that, but I've, I've always been big into numbers, sports data or statistics, things like that, okay. things that interest me. And I think just, you know, like I said, as we were going along this journey, it was like, oh, we got it. We can't, I can't do this by the seat of my pants. I'm not, I'm not smart enough for that. I, I don't, I don't got a good enough feel for that. We got to hone in and, and, and really lock into, to the numbers. And I think I've had some really good mentors in the industry as well, you know, through mastermind calls and different people in the industry that that have done it before. And, you know, we, we talk a lot and, and we share ideas. We're very open with that. I think it's just always, for me, it's always just about being around as many people as possible and stealing their best ideas, right. And then yeah. putting them all yeah. together, you know, and that's, that's yeah. kind of, kind of been my philosophy. Well, and I think one of the interesting parts of that is you pull this, all these disparate kinds of information together, you pull it in, but there's this thing that you bring to it and it sounds like what you you brought to it because while I think a lot of people look at their P&Ls a lot and they look at some of the data shooting out of their software if there's data shooting out of it or their GPS systems or but I, I think what I'm hearing is that unique ability to shove it into a different media into a different format and relook at it in different ways with the variables, the map layering, the variables. Because I've heard over the years, a lot of people use maps. Mm -hmm. What they don't typically do is use maps plus another layer on top, which is what you've done, which I, I think is just a really insightful thing that you've brought to the table on this. So, so as we finish, uh, I really appreciate, Grant, such good insights here, such good, interesting approach that you've taken with things. But I often like to kind of have an interesting way of concluding these conversations. As we've been talking, the thing that shows up for me is if you had the chance to go back and talk to your 23-year-old self, okay. what, what would you go back and say to, you know, that grant, that grant that's 12 years ago, right? So 
12 yeah. years ago, you get a chance to talk to that grant. What are you going to tell him? Oh man, grow up. No, I think, uh, I think a lot of it would be, you know, start looking at things this way, the way we look at things now, then, and you know, I, we'd be a lot farther along ha had we done that. I mean, we bootstrapped the heck out of the start of this thing with a thousand dollar Astro van, I would say, look at it more with a business mindset, which was probably impossible for that me because I was 23 years old and just didn't want to sit at a desk. So it was like, let's do this. But I think had I been able to drill that into my head a, a bit earlier, we would be a lot farther along. But again, like I said, fortunately, somewhere along that journey, you know, I was, I was putting some, put in touch with some, some really good people that ran successful businesses. And I looked at them and was like, oh, okay, let's try things a little bit differently. Let's try things that way. So. It's been a good ride, though. I wouldn't trade any of it. <laughs> well, I really appreciate the time you've spent today. And uh, thank you for sharing it so generously and continued success in what you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to tune in every week for a brand new $10,000 strategy or idea from trusted shredding and business professionals.